We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. It is April. We are less than a month away from the NFL draft, so that's what we're going to be focused on. Focusing on today, we've got Mario's updated rookie top 50 and a first Sorry. round mock to get into. So a lot here going on on this show. Let's get it rolling. Welcome into the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig, special guest today, Dulce on the camera. If you're, if you're watching the live stream, you get to enjoy uh, the the uh, true bliss and joy that that uh, that Dulce brings to the to the pod here. So good stuff, Mario. Yeah, she was getting into something in the corner, and I had to go get her during the intro just now. <laughs> probably, probably. Um, you know that little peek behind the curtain for for the listeners out there too. This so is basically it. what I do all the podcasts. I just keep it uh, you know, I st- I keep myself in frame better usually. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And uh, let's see here. Uh, just went to Augusta uh, on Monday. Caught caught the uh, Masters practice round. That was pretty nuts. Uh, oh, got nice. a nice little sunburn. Uh, <laughs> I'm also wearing my little Masters shirt. So. Uh, I'm all in, despite being about as casual of a golf fan as you, as you could possibly um, imagine. But anywho, why don't we get into the the meat and potatoes of today's episode? We're going to roll through your your mock draft and then just kind of weave in uh, some of the some of the players that are on your top fifty. Obviously, your top fifty is fantasy related, and obviously, we're running into a situation in this mock where there aren't going to be thirty two fantasy relevant guys running through it, but let's get things rolling. Where are the Jags going with, with the number one overall pick? Do they keep it? And if, if so, do any of their offseason moves steer you in, in one way, or do you think it's the odds-on favorite, which is Aiden Hutchinson? Yeah, I would guess it's Hutchinson, but who knows? I mean, to me, he's not clearly the best player in the draft or anything like that. I think he's the public consensus, like, safest player in the draft. And that could matter in this case because Trent Baalke knows that the seed is hot and that he's kind of got a lot of eyes on him now. People are kind of onto his bit and they're not they're not very fond of it. They're tired of it. Um, so one thing he could do to make people that much more mad at him would be to take instead like Trayvon Walker or uh, some other player 
other than Hutchinson, who is basically the public's favorite and the, you know, Azan favorite right now. So I think even if maybe Balky in another scenario might take Walker, which funny enough, I actually think is totally reasonable. Um, the public does not think that's totally reasonable though. So if he's feeling the heat, he might go with Hutchison just to kind of be like, Hey, if he sucks, you can't get mad at me on this one. Yeah. So how hard of it was it, was it in terms of making that call for you to, to lead off the mock with, with Hutchinson, with, with those factors in mind, like did, were you, how close were you to going with like a Trayvon Walker or, you know, I guess Kayvon Thibodeau to a lesser extent uh, there with that first pick? Yeah, it seems like Thibodeau's kind of soured the league a little bit on him. Like, I think he's he's out of the top five probably, even though he, there's a pretty good case to have him uh, up as high as that first pick, like you said. I think Evan Neal, the tackle from Alabama, would have been the ideal pick there for the Jaguars. But they put the franchise tag on Cam Robinson, which I don't know why. And uh, given that they already have Walker Little in the second round last year and Jamar Taylor in the second round two or three years ago or whatever, it seems pretty unlikely that they'll take Neal unless they somehow trade Cam Robinson before the draft, which doesn't seem likely. Um, that would be the only way. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's not ideal that they're ending up there. I don't think Robinson's that good, and I think Neal could be really good. Uh, I think I think Neal's probably the best player in the draft. But Hutchinson is at a need uh, if – at more of a need if they, you know, hold on to Robinson, which it seems like they will. Okay. All right, so – Looking at the odds, we got the odds displayed over on rotowire.com. Go to the uh, rotowire.com slash betting slash NFL. You can go to the player futures. We got first, second, overall, and third overall pick odds. So right now, Hutchinson is minus 250 at most places, minus 280 in, in others, but minus 250, the best price you'll get on him over at FanDuel. Uh, Trayvon Walker next up plus 350, and then we get into those offensive tackles that you were mentioning. Uh, Equanu from NC State, and of course, Evan Neal uh, from Alabama, 1,200 and 1,500 respectively are their odds. So feels like there's a pretty good, there's only a small range of outcomes for, for what the Jags are going to do first overall. I think things get really interesting with that second pick with the Detroit Lions, Obviously, that much has been made, and we've made a lot about how thin and weak this quarterback class is overall. But even still, is Malik Willis a true option for for the Lions at two? I think so. I don't know what they're most likely to do. It, it might not be in their nature to look at Willis there. Like I don't. Uh, was it is Holmes? I can't remember the name of that new GM that they got from the Rams. If he somehow thinks it's it's clever to go with Goff, and you know. Uh, just keeps keep getting high picks and keep spending them on non-quarterbacks every year. If he, if he thinks that's the sharp thing to do, then they could, you know, trade back here certainly. But otherwise, if they stay at two, they could take pretty much anybody that we've named. You know, I guess outside of the offensive tackles, obviously they got Decker and Sewell there. Um, on defense, though, pretty much anybody in the top ten discussion, you can you can kind of say Detroit makes sense for them because uh, they need help pretty much everywhere, especially corner. I guess you would say so. I'm higher on Derek Stingley than I guess most people. I can't tell if that's one of those things like most people actually like Stingley and it's the league that's souring on him or maybe the league and normal people all like Stingley and it's just the media getting something wrong. I don't know. Uh, Stingley doesn't appear to be an option for them at two. And I, I don't think the Cincinnati corner Gardner is is a serious consideration there. So uh, unless they're looking at that safety Hamilton, I think Detroit would, in the event that they pass on Malik Willis, probably be looking at 
Trayvon Walker and uh, I would say Thibodeau, but I guess I don't really see him as a fit for them. Right? Like I'd be surprised if they targeted him. So yeah, I'd say Walker, but I, I th- really think they should take Willis because you know he's got rough aspects of his game, of course. But uh, if he if he's so raw when they bring him in, then it's whatever an excuse to let Goff run out another year, and maybe you can flip him to some stupid team for a fourth rounder, or at least get out of the money that they owe him, and then go with Willis. Uh, but if they pass on Willis here and they just assume they're going to get a better shot later, you know, next year in the first round, that would be pretty reckless, even even if Willis is risky. I think it's more risky to pass on him and just assume something better will happen later. Right, because, you know, I, I think going – if you try to play the long game like that and try to try to get, like, a year ahead – as far as like the, these quarterback prospects are concerned, you can you can definitely get burned. Like you know, it say DJ Uyunglele was a sophomore two years ago, so uh, you know, being a junior that this year, he would have if you if a team wanted to play that that type of strategy and and say like, okay, we're going to tank for DJU, and then he had the season that that he just did, you're kind of sunk. Like oh yeah, and it, uh, or you know, if you, if you're tanking. With the expectation that that Sam Howell is and going to end up being that that number one guy, uh, you were sorely mistaken there as well. So so it's really hard to to forecast uh, the quarterback development from year to year in college and, and how it's going to translate in the NFL. Um, I don't even think that that Willis necessary. Willis was a guy that this time last year was viewed as pretty much all tools, and I, I think a lot the discussion is mostly the same there, but, but I think that just the way that the other quarterbacks in this class have played their way out of the running for, for number one, it's like, okay, at least Willis has tools that you could see if, if it works out, then it, it could be huge. Yeah. And you're probably, especially banking on the recent lessons of, I guess, Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. And I know Willis is not like them. I know he's, you know, six, one, two, 25 or whatever, instead of being, Six six two forty, whatever those two are, but it's not so much the height and the weight specifically that makes Allen and Herbert so effective right now. It's more the really strong arm, the arm that can threaten vertically anywhere on the field with a quick release, and the running ability and the, the frame to to kind of keep acting on that rushing threat with the quarterback underneath. Like Willis isn't as big as those two, but he's just as densely built. Like he can run twelve times a game. That's not a big deal to someone with his kind of frame. And if he can run 12 times a game and it's at vaguely the level that it was in college, then even if he's a bad passer, teams are going to have to start paying attention to that underneath rushing threat. And then if they want to pay too much attention to it, then the vertical threat comes in again. And you can kind of just sort of keep the defense off balance and kind of spread thin that way. And I think uh, particularly with the illegal contact rules being first implemented like 20 years ago and then reemphasized 10 years ago or whatever that was already like that for some reason, that ability to act on uh, the rushing threat underneath and that vertical, you know, high velocity, high distance throw vertically, that is just too much for defenses to deal with right now. It's like you end up having to uh, leave somebody in coverage that you needed to have spying on the rush threat or vice versa, and you just never really seem to get ahead of the count. So uh, I think Willis falls in that category. And crucially, beside that, he seems to be a really hard worker and, you know, guys seem to like playing for him. So Nowadays, it seems like the best you can do finding a quarterback prospect is just find somebody who's a really hard worker, who leads vaguely well, and has some amount of athletic tools to mold. And then you just kind of like have to hope they figure it out. So 
kind of putting you on on the spot here, but if Detroit doesn't go Willis at two, how far down d- does he land? Is there anyone else in the top ten that you could see uh, that is currently in the top ten at least um, that you could see uh, taking the plunge on him, or do you think that that would that would kind of open the floodgates to where you know teams picking in the early teens might might consider moving up? Yeah, uh, if I was the Jaguars, I'd really try to find out what the Lions plan to do with that pick because I don't know it. If if uh if if Willis does not go off the board at the second pick, if he's on the board at the third pick, I think that third pick is trading out. So that's the Texans. Um, somebody will trade up for him. I think if the Lions don't take him, uh, it might be Carolina, might be somebody else. But I don't think he's going to fall unimpeded to the sixth pick where I, I would imagine if he does, the Panthers would take him there though. Yeah, they, they pretty much have to. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, how the, how the board falls uh, for, for I guess them. the giants, the giants, they have, they have two picks in the first seven selections. So they'd be pretty easy to, uh, it'd be pretty easy to, to afford and justify moving up to the first pick or the second pick or the third pick. No, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you got a a totally new regime there. They're not wedded to Daniel Jones, so nor nor should they have been uh, regardless. But uh, I digress. Um, Looking at at Willis from the the fantasy lens, where does he fall in your rookie ranks for for this uh, class? Uh, I think in one quarterback, he'd be for, uh, yeah, for dynasty purpose, he'd be like seven or eight. And in Superflex, I guess there's a case to have him, you know, first overall pick. So part of the part, part of the reason you can you can kind of feel I think more secure than you would maybe guess as a Willis investor is simply that he if he has success in the NFL, he needs to actualize that rushing threat like they need to act on that. And if he is acting on that rushing threat, then he can kind of get away with being a bad passer and still be pretty good in fantasy. So there really is a high floor there for at least a couple of years, I think, you know, not not to just assume he'll start in 2022, but whenever he starts starting, I think, you know, he's got like two and a half years at least as a worst case scenario. And I think he could play poorly in real life terms and still be like a top 12 fantasy quarterback because he's probably the second most dangerous rushing threat at quarterback. And, And I don't just mean, I don't mean one play like Kyler Murray is about as dangerous as Lamar Jackson on one play, but he can't do it over as much volume as Lamar, which is why Lamar is far and away the best. I think when you consider the volume aspect, uh, along with the explosiveness aspect, Willis will be the second most dangerous rushing quarterback in the NFL, like him or Lance or something. Uh, okay. So he could run for like 700, 800 yards, you know, like that would not be surprising. No, it really wouldn't. He, you know, he showed it time and time again at, at Liberty over the course of these last two seasons, just how dangerous he can be um, as a rushing threat. And, you know, the the passing production, the highlight film, the, you know, the the pro day, all that underlines it, that he's got, you know, a great arm on top of the athleticism as well. Um, let's get on over to our next skill guy. We just talked about uh, the Panthers for a second, what they might do at six. In this particular scenario, obviously Willis is off the board at two. Do the Panthers go with stay the course and go with the quarterback, even even if Willis is gone? Yeah, somebody's going to take Kenny Pickett, and I don't think it's going to be a team that ever wins now or in the next four years. So <laughs> it's going to be the Panthers, I think, because I just 
either the intel that he's so coveted as a first-round pick is wrong, or a team like the Panthers needs to make that pick. And if the Panthers don't, I don't know who's, you know, there's two or three teams stupid enough to believe that. And the Panthers are definitely one. Uh, the Panthers are so reckless and dysfunctional right now. They don't really need to believe anything in particular to do anything in particular. They're just, they're going haywire. And if they get to that sixth overall pick and, you know, you're Matt Rule, you think of it from his angle. He's like, I know the only way I'm staying employed another year and a half is if I have some sort of new hope uh, for the franchise that is attributed to me. You know, like I need to get two or three promising starts from some rookie quarterback and I can get another year or two out of this racket, you know. But if if he doesn't have a rookie quarterback and they go two and 15 or whatever they will this year, then he's just getting fired in, I don't know, October. But if you're losing and you have a rookie quarterback and you get fans and media deluded into thinking that there's some sort of hope, he can stay employed. So he's going to be in favor of Pickett, even even if he thinks he's a bum, even if he thinks it's a crap pick. That's his most rational uh, uh, option if he wants to stay employed. And then Tepper, the owner, is just a stupid guy who, uh, you know, you can imagine him sort of just looking at it as, you got to take a quarterback when you're with a first round pick and you got to take, and a quarterback of course needs to look like Mr. Touchdown USA. And, you know, maybe Kenny Pickett will strike that aesthetic to him. Oh, uh, isn't Tepper a Pittsburgh guy? Oh man. Let's, uh, let's just assume this is the pick then. Let's Uh, put our yins cap on. I'm going to go edit the Wikipedia page right now for the 2022 NFL draft. Uh, I hope I wasn't slandering Tepper there and just assuming that he's from Pittsburgh or Slander something. Slander him. Um, <laughs> don't slander it, 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 Pittsburgh, you're slandering him. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I think the listeners uh, know my feelings about Pittsburgh. but um, <laughs> Okay, all right. So let, let's, uh, let's keep it rolling. Uh, so we got a, a lot of defensive players here in the top 10. Do we start to see a run at receiver somewhere early, uh, right around the, that 10th pick? Yeah, if the Jets don't trade that 10th pick for a veteran receiver, they're going to take a receiver at that pick. And in this projection, I gave them Garrett Wilson. I think Garrett Wilson's good. I think he's also overrated. Uh, I don't think he's a better prospect than Elijah Moore. Uh, but there's still a pretty good case for taking Wilson at 10. You know, it's more like Elijah Moore probably shouldn't have fallen as far as he did. Um it could be that that's true, and Wilson is also worth this 10th pick. Uh, mm-hmm. It would be bad for his fantasy interest, of course, because, or at least I'm not optimistic about Zach Wilson. I think he could, I don't know, maybe be like a top 20 NFL quarterback, but I'd, I'd be pretty, uh, I, I think it'd be greedy to hope for more than that. And if he's only that, then particularly while he's still young, there might not be a big enough pie there to, to make all of, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, uh, Garrett Wilson, those two tight ends that they signed. Uh, maybe there's maybe the pie isn't big enough to make everybody happy, especially the fantasy investors of all those players. But it would be a good player at a position that the Jets could use one. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if they're all in on Wilson, you know, it, it definitely makes sense for them. It's a to receiver do. for sure. They've been trying. They tried to get Tyreek Hill, and they've been bothering the Titans, and the Titans are telling them to stop calling them about AJ Brown. <laughs> Just want the, the Corey Davis, A.J. Brown reunion in the big ass at, at receiver then. Sorry, I think my connection cut out for like 10 seconds there. Oh, no, you're good. Um, who you got? Who's the next receiver coming oh. off the board and, and where? Yeah, another bummer. You don't want to be the pick uh, at, at 11 overall where we have the Washington, whatever they're called. And they're 
given in this projection Drake London, which I would hate for Drake London. Uh, Carson Wentz is terrible, 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 really, really bad, no good. And uh, Washington, of course, is a rotten organization. Dan Snyder is one of the, you know, many Hydra heads that we could conceptualize Satan as. Uh, he's, he's one of them, one of those many heads. And uh, did I just lose John? Oh, I, I guess I did. Um, I'm just going to hope John gets back online here or that I am not offline talking to myself right now but uh drake london of course sorry oh hey john (laughs) um yeah so drake london uh it's it's a it's a punishment for him to go 11th overall to washington but i i think it's pretty easy to rationalize it from washington's angle it's just it's a bummer for him but drake london he was supposed to have his pro day like yesterday and they postponed it for supposedly another injury reason i guess we'll see uh, I can't remember what date, maybe like, maybe like the 15th of April or something like that. So, <clears throat> excuse me, if he runs like a, if he runs like a four, six at that pro day workout, he might not be a consideration at 11, but as long as he runs like a four five, you know, if he runs like a four five five ish sort of thing, then I almost would be surprised if he fell out of the top 12 at that point. Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. And you know, it, it is a little bit concerning that, we're this far along. We had the scheduled pro day and, and had to move it back because of the the, um, the ankle uh, that, that cut his last season at USC short. But, you know, if everything checks out, then I could see him definitely being uh, the second receiver off the board. I want to move down a little bit further um, in, in this mock later in the teens. I think this is one of my favorite uh, potential pick pairings. That would be the Chargers taking a flyer, not necessarily a flyer, it's a first round pick on Jamison Williams out of Alabama. Obviously, he tore his ACL in the national championship game, but the production and everything before then was was everything pointed to him being the most explosive, dangerous uh, receiver in all of college football. I think, you know, if that injury didn't happen, he's the first receiver off the board. So the Chargers potentially getting him at 17 would be, you know, a massive boon. You you already have Mike Williams. You already have Keenan Allen in in the fold. So you don't need to, like, four – you're not like relying on Jameson Williams, like coming right in and, and like having to eat up all these targets, you know, you can kind of ease him in a little bit. And then, you know, once he's ready to rock, like now all of a sudden Justin Herbert has a legit deep threat in a way that he just really hasn't yet to this point in his NFL career. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Brandon Staley has shown some concerning uh inclinations like I, I don't know that i trust him to figure everything out at this point but he's not a dumb guy so i do think he'll figure out generally speaking he'll figure out more as time goes along and with this thing being so inescapably obvious the fact that they need some speed on that offense to to push the safeties back you know you gotta like you have to think about how you create space as an offense uh, to to imagine how you're gonna go anywhere you know like you gotta you, you gotta think about how the speed of your, of your best vertical threat how that how that turns into an analogy of like flipping over an hourglass with the sand in it you know and it's like how fast that sand goes down on the defense has to do with how fast that safety gets pushed back by those receivers like you want the you want to make the defense feel like the sand is running out on them and Jameson Williams gives them that alarming feeling you know like that that sort of just we have to start running with him at the snap and that's that's like our step one of how we're conceptualizing our whole defense. Like it starts with him. Right now, when you look at the the Chargers' deep, uh, offense, you probably start with like 
I guess Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, maybe Eckler more so. And uh, that's plenty concerning enough for a defense. Obviously, those two are really productive. But they can both be more productive if the defense doesn't know that the ball's going to them all the time. Like if, if they had to worry more about uh, what happens when they sell out to stop those two. And they can still focus on Allen and Eckler, even if Williams is on the field. But that'll only happen a couple times. Because if you leave that single, if you leave a single coverage corner on Jameson Williams, Herbert being the way he is, is going to land that bomb. And they were landing those exact plays with Tyron Johnson mm-hmm. all the time his rookie year. And then because Staley, in my opinion, does not think things through, or at least last year thought things through wrong, he's, he looked at Tyron Johnson and was like, oh, he doesn't know how to do adjustment routes. He's, he's, he's dumb as a brick. I can't get through to him with something, something. He's not a good route runner. Um, it doesn't matter. You have Tyron Johnson running nothing but fly routes and post routes. Every single time he's going to be in single coverage, that's how you get, you know, 400 yards out of Tyron Johnson on 30 targets because it's, it's playing on easy mode. But the defense has no choice but to leave it there. They took him out and put in Jalen Guyton, and he doesn't have the actual ball skills, the actual getting open ability that Tyron Johnson does. So they just kind of forfeited the deep threat, got nothing in exchange for it, and they made the field small on themselves. So um, I think Jameson Williams would be making up for that sin uh, many times over. And uh, because I can't see Staley being truly dumb, I think it's either him or Olave at that pick. Okay, so the Chargers, definite, uh, you know, team to, to look out for taking a receiver. I'm going to, or before we backtrack a second, um, looking back at your overall uh, rookie top 50, you have uh, uh, Williams as your wide receiver four. Um, so checks in just ahead of Traylon Burks. Uh, he's at and James Williams at five overall. Brees Hall in, in a tier all to himself up at the top. And then you got Drake London, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and then Jameson Williams. Uh, do you think if the injury hadn't occurred that that Williams might be closer to the two? Maybe. I don't actually have any real position on ranking those players within the tier. It's more like uh, I'm indifferent generally, but beyond that it comes down to what the teams are looking for like if some team has you know two really good starting receivers who weigh 179 pounds i'd say to that team if you're looking for another receiver maybe you should take Traylon burks because you could use that 225 on the field but for a team like the packers i think a guy like olave or jameson williams would make a lot more sense because they already have alan lazard as kind of the big body in the middle of the field so um, I actually have no argument against Jameson Williams as a top receiver in the draft. I don't have one against uh, – I mean, I don't personally subscribe to it, but if someone said Garrett Wilson's the best, some, you know, Olave is the best, I, Drake London, I just, I just would say, okay, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, I, I, maybe I'll have a more uh, hard-line opinion on that group at a later point, but to me they're all basically the same right now. It's just – it's really hard to separate them. Um, they, they, they have – a lot going for them all and a little bit missing in each case. So none of them is like a, you know, Mike Evans or anything like that. They're all just like really good starters who aren't complete. Right. And, th- and then you can kind of, you know, sort it out a little bit better after the draft once, once the landing spots are, are yeah. actually determined. And, and, you know, like, yeah, like you're saying, if you, if you were to flip, flip the order a little bit and, and have Jamison Williams go to the jets or something, then, you know, maybe you like Williams a little bit, less as a result of that the same way that, you know, we felt about London and London lands in a better spot. Suddenly um, he, he might, uh, you know, move, move up in those yeah, ranks. So Williams at 10 would not be shocking to me at all. 
Yeah, I mean, if they're going after Tyreek, I mean, you can't say that the the speed is analogous one to one or anything with, with Williams, but uh, you know, it, it goes to show you the type of receiver that they were trying to seek out at least a little bit. Yeah. So, um, I while I while I ranked or uh, while I projected, of course, Garrett Wilson to ten, Drake London to eleven, James Williams at seventeen. Uh, I think Chris Olave would also make sense at any of those picks. I, I think he could pretty easily be the best receiver in the draft. Like, I don't feel strongly enough to call it specifically, but he looks a lot like Torrey Holt to me. I, th- I think he's just about as easy of a projection as you can imagine at receiver. Like, I, I cannot imagine Olave being anything less than a good starter. Uh, so he's in the mix there, and he he's the same category as Jameson Williams, right? You want him outside. You want him downfield. You want the defense chasing him because he's hard to catch. Uh, but beyond that, Dra- uh, Traylon Burks is who I projected for the Packers at 22. That's the next receiver here. And I think they should take Chris Olave at that pick if he's on the board, because specifically the Packers need some speed. They have the same problem that the Chargers do. Um, and it's, it's about to get, they're about to get exposed for it that much more now that Devontae Adams isn't there. It's like, ideally you would have the balance, the downfield speed to make the defense always care. But absent that, a guy who always needs to be double teamed every play also can kind of, you know, open things up a little bit. Now they don't have that. So I think Olave's speed would be almost crucial. I think, I think it's a borderline like mandatory pick for them to make, but they don't seem to like skinny players in general. And that receiver, they, they seem to target denser players. So Traylon Burks is who I give them because he's 6'2", 225. I think he fits everything they look for, even though I don't think he's the most balanced pick or clearly better than Olave. So um, that's a case where I'm projecting something that I disagree with, but I, I do think it would go that way. And then I have Dallas taking finally Olave at 24, which they don't deserve that. Like they got a, they got bailed out with Tony Romo being an undrafted free agent. They got bailed out with Dak Prescott in the fourth round after they wanted Connor Cook in the fourth round ahead of him. They don't deserve Chris Olave to bail them out for Jerry mangling their cap and having to trade Amari Cooper. But uh, it would be an awesome pick for them. Yeah, and they they also got bailed out a little bit in the draft two years ago when they they were picking what 17 and and. Rugs and Judy went before C.D. Lamb, so they ended up with the, with the best one of, of those three as well. I'd also call uh, Micah Parsons a, a total bailout scenario, too. That was like that guy's going like second overall if they do that draft over. Jerry's Jerry's taking him there because he specifically is like, ah, I I have too many linebackers. This isn't even a good thing. Like he just he just got bailed out by Parsons being LT. Uh, when what normally happened there is, you know, you, you pay some sort of price for taking, a, what is that, their third first-round linebacker in four years? Like, mm-hmm. normally that's a bad process, but when you're Jerry, for some reason, you get LT when you do that. It, it just it worked out beautifully. I, w- I will uh, give you that. Um, let's see. I, I guess there aren't too many other skill guys that, that you're projecting to, to go in this first round. No tight ends, uh, no running backs, notably. As just kind of like an overall draft process, who are some guys that over the last couple of weeks or maybe since the combine uh, that, that aren't skill position guys that have really kind of like flashed uh, to you? Then these can be guys that are projected to go in the top 10 or anywhere um, in this mock. So I didn't mean to skip them, but I also projected Desmond Ritter to the Saints at 16 because I just think it's the right call. I think it's, it's similar to the Lions and Willis, right? It's like, yeah, you don't have everything you look for in Ritter. But if you are assuming that you're going to get a better chance next year, you're basically being greedy and uh, guilty of hubris. So they should take Ritter at 16 and get him another offensive tackle with that other pick, uh, which is what I projected. And Ritter is kind of interesting just because he's, you know, he's 
runs the four five two. He's got a uh, four years of starting experience. You know, if he's if he's do, if he's running a little bit and he's starting seventeen games, then that puts him on the fantasy radar right there. And uh, I happen to think he might be pretty good too. At least I like him a lot more than Kenny Pickett. But um, looking around, I guess uh, for like pet favorites among the rest of the draft, um, especially on defense. I mean, I don't know what to make of these guys, but I'm interested in both of these skinny, fast safeties, the the Michigan one, and then your guy, Lewis Sign. Is that how you say it, Sign? Uh, seen. Seen, okay. Yeah, those guys are pretty interesting because I, I think they might be sort of the – like, I don't think we know it yet, but they're part of this first wave of a new position, which is just uh, safeties who are corners now, basically. And, uh, like, you look at that and you'd say, like, oh, God, this is going to be a total Lewis Delmas case. Like, these guys are going to snap themselves in half trying to tackle running backs at that weight. Um, but yeah, him and him and the Michigan guy are pretty interesting to me. Um, and they, they might be, uh, you know, this, this new hybrid corner who plays yeah. slot corner and safety and outside corner all. So you can all apl- applying the amoeba principle to the secondary after doing the, you know, the front seven previously. Yeah, no. And, and both those guys are awesome. Like, like Dax Hill, justice Hill's younger brother, mind you. Um, really? <laughs> yes. Couple, couple of, I think they're, yeah, they're both from somewhere in Texas. And I, I think scenes actually from Texas as well, if I remember correctly. But um, yeah, Dax Hill, five star coming out of high school. I remember that. I remember being a little surprised that he had gone to Michigan. They, they had kind of hit um, a, a bit of a snag in, in their recruiting at that time, but he was the, the jewel of that class. And he obviously panned out extremely well. So I like his game and scene. Um, yeah, like you said, he's not the, the biggest guy in the world, but the tape the guy's an absolute thumper. Um, the guy hits. I think I had a, I think I had like half of your starting defense in this first round mock. I mean, that means it's a good mock um, yeah. <laughs> because, for several reasons, but yeah, seeing, um, I mean, there, there was a hit that he delivered in 2020 uh, where he just completely leveled Kyle Pitts. Who's, you know, like just a zillion times bigger that, than him, but you, you can like hear it audibly. Like the, the whole crowd is like, Oh, uh, when, when scene delivered that one. So he, he's a bruiser. I, I would definitely, um, it, you know, if I'm a team in need of a safety at that range of the draft late in the first round, then, you know, I'm hoping that, that my team grabs him. I'm a big fan of Lewis scene. And then uh, another guy used to be on Georgia, but um, ended up in, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as greener pastures at Florida state, but he definitely got a, a chance uh, to, to shine, try, got the chance to, be an every down player at Florida State, and that's Jermaine Johnson. Um, so you you have him going to, to Arizona at twenty three. He's really interesting to me. I think this is a, this is a class that's really deep at edge, and you know I, I think his ascent this year, you know, really kind of like it takes it over the top as far as the, these the edge guys available here. Yeah, he's he's one of like you said a pretty sizable group of players who you can almost imagine pushing for the top ten or something like that in different drafts, um, it's become, or I don't, don't want to say it's become clear to me, but to me, it seems like uh, the more I look at this draft, as much as I was complaining about the top three, five picks, like that, I don't think the value is very good there. The value from like 10 to 25 or so is some of the best I can recall. And specifically in the edge position, because it's not just him. Uh, there's there's that Minnesota guy. I can't remember. He's got uh, Mafe. Boye um, Mafe. Yeah, he, he's pretty crazy looking. Karlaftis from Purdue, I think probably like a top 15 pick. Uh, so those two those two are guys who you would, 
I think conventionally project is like right on the top 10 kind of range, especially if there was, you know, a bunch of teams in the top 10 picking edge rushers. Uh, and there's that other, what's that other one? Um, uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not oh, remembering yeah. another one. Edge but, guy? Yeah. Uh, I think I was just thinking of Walker and I, I already mentioned him obviously, but uh mm-hmm. Yeah, so in addition to those guys, uh, obviously Jermaine Johnson is pretty interesting, but I, I ranked him third for kind of the reasons you said. Like he's he's the same age as Mafe, but uh, he's they're both a little bit older, I think, than uh, the Carlaftis. Uh, and um, I guess I guess you could almost, you could almost call Jermaine Johnson like maybe a Jalen Phillips kind of prospect, something like that, where. Uh, you're not locking him into the top 20 or anything like that, but if he goes in the top 12, you're not really like flipping the table or anything. Right. You, you can under, you can totally understand the case as to why someone would be, you know, sold on him, why, why they would be um, that high on him. Um, before we get on over, we're going to talk a little bit more into your uh, uh, fantasy rookie ranks, the, the top 50. Um, but first we got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so moving on, in your rankings, as we've established, you had Brees Hall as your number one rookie to target. And then it's interesting, but it, you know, I think it's a sign of the, of the times mostly that we don't have a projected running back in, in the first round. I mean, that this is a league now that didn't take Jonathan Taylor in the first round. And, you know, the, the list goes on, although CEH, of course, did go 32nd in that draft. But point remains, 
uh, that running back just it's harder. The bar is getting higher and higher to clear for these guys coming out of school to, to be a first round selection at running back. But even still, Brees is your guy to target. Do you have in mind, you know, like where he's going to go in terms of the range in the draft? And do you have an ideal landing spot for him? Uh, well, the ideal would be, you know, some good offense with lots of running back snaps available, but I don't know if that's going to be a realistic option for him. Uh, it's like if the Chiefs hadn't signed Ronald Jones and if they hadn't took Edward Tolaire a couple of years ago, I'd say maybe them at 29 or 30, which would be awesome, of course. But more likely, I would say, and this, this, would, this would piss off a lot of people for a lot of reasons, but I think Detroit would make quite a bit of sense either at the 32nd pick or the 34th pick. And that would, of course, make people mad uh, who are investors of DeAndre Swift. It'll make the anti-running back freaks mad. Uh, <laughs> it'll make, uh, I don't know, probably, probably like Brees Hall investors mad. Uh, so it, it wouldn't make anybody happy, but that one I think would be a justifiable pick by the Lions. And uh, they got two shots, 32nd and 34th to do it. Uh, otherwise, I would guess Brees Hall goes to the Texans at 37. Which of course would kind of suck, but uh, I mean, maybe he gets so much it, use. Yeah, I don't hate it too much. Yeah, he, he'd average like three point two yards per carry and have three rushing touchdowns, but he'd catch ninety passes or something because there's just cooks and that's it. The, the the Najee Harris experience. Yeah, he'll have a seventeen target game uh, before the first month is over. <laughs> so we we're, we're big Brees Hall guys, and you know, hopefully he lands somewhere and. <laughs> That uh, doesn't make everybody mad, although, although uh, that some of that Detroit angle w- would be uh, kind of funny. I guess um, maybe the ideal, or not ideal, but Atlanta at 43 would be kind of interesting, too, just because I, I think the deal there would be similar. It's like, they suck, they're going to be giving the ball to a bunch of bums, or they give it to Hall, so they're going to give it to Hall. Yeah, I mean, like, I think expecting any, like, even 80% of what, what CP did last year, to, to repeat itself this year is probably a bit overly optimistic. So yeah, I think they, they do need to like restock that, that running back room. I, you know, CP might give them one more good. They just good they have so much slack that they, they could have room for Pitts, Patterson and Hall to be uh, pretty productive in fantasy just because they'll have such atypical usage rates for, for players in their position because the Falcons receivers are so ambitiously awful. It's yeah, it is actually incredible what what their receiver depth chart looks like. It, it unbelievable. Cordell's um, their best one. It's yeah, for real though. But he's also their best running back. Um, what a conundrum. <laughs> so your your second tier: Drake London, Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jameson Williams, Traylon Burks, and then Malik Willis. So uh, all those guys uh, expected to go in the first round. Expected to go in, or they were in your mock. Let's move on over over to tier three. How tricky was sorting out this tier? It's a, it's a you know a tier of what five six players. How'd you kind of like come to uh, these landing spots for for guys like Kenneth Walker, Jahan Dotson, George Pickens? Yeah, so all of them had good profiles overall, but somewhat incomplete. And in the case of Kenneth Walker, it's that he's not a big running back, and he didn't catch that many passes in college, so. he's good, I think, and I think he can definitely run, but that's just kind of, that's quite a bit of pressure on the assumption that he can definitely run at a high level, because if he can't, and if you get a mid to low range outcome for his pass catching variable, 
then all of a sudden you're you got this running back who maybe he's pretty dangerous with the ball. Maybe he's the kind of player no one is exactly happy to have to chase as a defense, but maybe he can only play 400 snaps. Maybe he can only get on the field for 300, 400 snaps, and uh, maybe he's in a rotation all the time. That's something that I worry about with Walker, uh, even though if some team did commit to him, I'd say, oh, yeah, he's, he'll, he'll do good now. Um, now that he's got the playing time assured, I'll say, yeah, he's, he's going to do good now. But we don't know about that. And also, for what it's worth, I think all the 40 times, literally every single 40 time from the combine, just for running backs, is wrong. And I think they're all too fast. So to me, I'm believing the 4-4-6 on Kenneth Walker, not the 4-3-8. And a 4-4-6 is fine at 211. But it's not something that makes me, you know, just quickly look past the pass catching concerns. So there's a there's quite a bit of distance for me between Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker, even though Kenneth Walker is pretty easily the the running back too. And I've seen, uh, you know, floating out there on on Twitter a decent amount of takes that I think like it's 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 okay to like put push back on. on you know, any given narrative because, you know, that everything needs to be explored one way or the other. But I think that there's almost, there's been so much criticism of Kenneth Walker's pass catching or, or lack thereof uh, having what 30 career targets uh, during his time in college and 19 career receptions. I, I think people are, are getting a little bit over fixated to where it's like, uh, he, he really, he definitely can. This 30 target sample shows me everything I, I need. And you're wrong for just uh, assuming that just based on the pure volume that, that he's not a good pass catcher. And like, you, you know, you can't always assume one thing or the other, but I think at the same time, people are kind of bending over backwards to say that uh, like his pass catching sample is meaningful and, and actually projects well. Uh, yeah. As a, as in all cases, I'm a moderate on this one uh, because I think either conclusion in either direction is too aggressive. Like we should have a non-applicable incomplete grade, something like that for Kenneth Walker and his pass catching, because it's one thing to get the opportunity and fail. And it's another thing to never get the opportunity because we don't know the reason that he didn't get the opportunity. Sometimes you don't get the opportunity because you don't have the ability. Sometimes you just were denied the chance and we can't know which it is in his case. Like, I guess, you, you know, person's free to take a position. You can take a side, but no one knows. We're just guessing. And anyone who claims to have some sort of certainty to offer is making stuff up probably. So I, I don't know how someone can say with any sort of confidence that he will or will not pass catch well in the NFL. But in the meantime, fact is not just Michigan State, but Wake Forest too did not have running backs catching passes. This is not a case where he was pulled off the field like Ronald Jones was at USC to have uh, Stephen Carr catch more passes than him. That never happened. Uh, yep. So the, the other running backs at Michigan State last year combined for 15 receptions. Right. So he was their most active pass catcher at running back. And the other, the other, especially in the Michigan State season, the crucial thing to focus on, I think, is that he left no slack. He took a workhorse role just as a runner alone. So it would have been a big difference, in other words, if he averaged 15 carries a game instead of 21 or whatever he did. But he left no meat on the bone as it was. There was nothing for him to do. Like the, Unless Michigan State runs 10 more plays every game, he can't categorically do more as a pass catcher because they already did everything. So if he was getting 14 carries a game and he's only catching you know, 1.25 passes per game, that's a big red flag. 
that's a much more concerning example than a, a running back who's taking 22, 25 carries, routinely pushing 30 carries a game and running for, you know, 180 plus yards. That's that's a player who's doing everything asked of them. Yeah, no, 100 uh, percent. Yeah, just n- n- reeling off those uh, statistical performances just takes you back to the fall and uh, making a nice little DraftKings lineup with Kenneth Walker and building around that, hoping that he's going to run all over Indiana or something. And then he would. Um, so looking elsewhere, so that, that, that sets the record on, on, uh, Kenneth Walker, some of these other guys, some of these other bu- buzzy players, I'd like to hear your, your thoughts on, on Sky Moore versus Khalil Shakir, because I think they're, they're the two, you know, smaller school receivers, um, that, that are getting a, a decent amount, or one of them is getting way more buzz than the other. And it, it feels like the public is mostly missing the boat on, on Khalil Shakir. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm plenty high on Sky Moore, you know, like, I, I, I think I've, I was an early fan of his, actually. So uh, I have no reason to push back against his hype. But it's puzzling to me that any process would look at Sky Moore and say, this guy's, a, you know, top 40 pick that would look at Khalil Shakir and just sort of, you know, walk past. Like, that's the reaction you get with Shakir. Just people kind of just shrug at him and say, oh, whatever. And it's like, why, why whatever? He was a really, really good player at Boise State, and he fits in pretty obviously with a lot of the most popular modern NFL concepts. Like, uh, him in a Shanahan offense would be crazy. Like, he's he's not – He's not as he's not built the way Debo Samuel is, of course. So you can't give him this, you can't make him run between the tackles that way, and you can't give him as much volume as you would Debo Samuel. But Khalil Shakir is a guy who you can just kind of put in motion most of the time, have him play in the slot quite a bit. And with that motion, you have a a, a threat you're prepared to act on by giving him the toss when he comes across the motion. Like I guess Curtis Curtis Samuel maybe in Carolina, you could imagine Khalil Shakir working as. Uh, he had the four four three at one ninety five. Uh, sorry, one ninety six, which to me is not distinguishable from a four four one at one ninety five that Sky Moore ran. So I, I think they're slightly different. Like I would still say Sky Moore is probably the better downfield threat between the two, but that's more because Shakir has very short arms, and I don't really want him trying to play you know rebound drill on the sideline all that often. I'd rather have him on a double move where where I'm hoping you know the, the prior six curl and slant and drag routes that I got to him. Maybe the corner's biting really hard on the double move and he gets open deep, even though it's not really his main thing. Like that's the only time I would have him going downfield. So Shakir, I think projects the exact same way in the NFL as he did in college, which is just, you know, a slot centric guy who gives you a lot after the catch gets open constantly underneath. Um, For an outside receiver, I think he could also thrive if you have a a role more like uh, what the Rams had with Robert Woods. Like, I think Robert Woods is a pretty good comp for him, too. So, yeah, not a star. You know, it's like him uh, him and Sky Moore, they're, they're, they both lack, like, that alpha star kind of uh, sum of traits, but still clear starters, I think. And uh, as far as that Tier 2 and, and the other receivers in it uh, – sorry, Tier 3 and those other receivers in it, Jahan Dotson, he's, he's the same thing. He's like, skill set is beyond questioning. His athleticism is adequate. But a 178-pound frame limits him from something, you know, a guy 20 pounds heavier than him could do. So that's why he finds himself there, but still an above average starter to me. And then George Pickens, who I'm still high on. I just feel like there's um there's more projection with him than some of the other guys that I'm willing to rank this high. Like Dotson, there's nothing to wonder about with him. We know exactly what he is. With Pickens, uh, you're 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 kind of 
being forced to to make the purchase decision without getting all of you know the details like, didn't read have, the terms and services yeah you kind of gotta like buy the house without the inspection kind of thing with him but there's reason to do it anyway like there's reason to think like yeah he's gonna he's gonna be good even though he's a little skinny you know it's like he he's still young too like you can probably put on 10 pounds on a 6-3 frame pretty easily uh, especially given how young he is and there's a chance that he does that without losing any speed so if he's running a 447 at 195 that's not great or anything i think it's adequate first of all but even though it's not great he could get closer to great if he's more like 208 in a year and he's still running a 447 you know yeah no i i, I like the way that you frame that and and you know pick and he might speed. not be he might lose some of that speed but he might not too we don't really know no, that's that's true. I, I like the the uh, house inspection um, analogy there. So one guy that that I feel like, especially after the combine, uh, has snuck his way into a lot of people's first round mocks, even and and um, is someone that people are are across the board extremely high on. It, it was hard not to be captivated by his performance at the combine, but Christian Watson finds himself outside of your third tier into the fourth tier. Um, again, like you said, you, you laid it out in a way where even if a guy is listed above the other one in a, a given tier, it's not like a hard line type of rule. So in that tier, you've got guys like Bo Melton, David Bell, who tanked his workouts, uh, Tyquan Thornton, who did well in his workouts, and then Christian Watson, the big guy out of North Dakota State. So what, what led you to, to put being maybe a little bit lower on him than the consensus? I think Watson is actually a pretty easy projection. Like I, there's just a certain narrow range of possibilities, I feel like, with him. Uh, because when you have the 6-4 frame and you have the 4-3-6 speed, that there is a certain amount of currency that won't depreciate or whatever. Like You can use that player for certain things, and I think that usage is pretty obviously – the way the Packers use Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Like, he can do that. That's, that's like, his worst-case scenario. But I also think it's pretty close to his best-case scenario because he did not really function as an underneath or intermediate receiver at North Dakota State. Like, he basically just kind of went deep all the time. And so he put up totally okay numbers. But, A, he was a redshirted player, so he's a year older than a lot of the players we're comparing him to. Uh, maybe more. Don't really know on that one. Um, but... Also, uh, you know, he's, he's, he, it, it would have been a, a different matter if there was nobody in the North Carolina, uh, North Dakota state offense who, uh, was catching underneath passes, but there usually was, there was usually another guy in the offense who was kind of, you'd see he had more like a 10, 11 yards per catch kind of average compared to Watson at like 23. So he's only catching something like two and a half catches a game, you know, and he's just going deep every time. That's that's just Valdez Scantling to me. Like, and the and the question is like, can you do anything in those first twenty yards? At North North Dakota State, he didn't really. And that he's a year older than uh, the competition doesn't make me more eager to take a leap of faith there. And not just that, at two oh eight or whatever he is, that's actually pretty skinny for six foot four. So, if you add twenty pounds to his frame to get him more, uh, sorry, not twenty. If you give him t- uh, twelve pounds to his frame to make him basically the same weight at the same height as Drake London. Is he still running that four three six? Are you still thinking of him as a specifically fast guy, or is he becoming, in front of your eyes, more of a possession receiver? And if he has to become more of a possession receiver, can he actually play as a possession receiver, or does he only know how to play, go fast in a straight line and catch the ball fifty yards downfield? So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that I think we have reason to believe 
uh, Watson just can't really do as much as there's other things that we can be pretty much certain he can do. So I, I think he's he's just a he, he can give you efficiency in big plays on a moderate level of targets, but I don't think he'll give you consistency in any particular sample size. And I think if you give him more than 100 targets in a year, you risk overexposing him quite a bit. Yeah, no, that that's a really good good take on 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 him. That's an interesting detail as as, as it pertains to like his um, his functions it, within that North Dakota State offense. Does he have the the potential worry of being the next Antonio Gandy Golden? I don't think so. Not that I know what went so wrong with Gandy Golden. I don't I don't get it at all. But uh, I think so. It won't be that bad. But no, it won't be that bad. And at, the, at the very least, Watson's quite a bit faster than Gandy Golden. Gandy Golden was pretty fast for a guy as big as him. Watson is just fast, you know, just on its face. It's, yeah, it's no, yeah, no matter how you cut it. Okay, that checks out. But I don't think he's better than Alec Pierce and Thornton, you know. I'd rather have Thornton with his 428 at 180 than uh, the 436 at 208. So uh, I, I'm not a Watson super fan, as you can tell. Okay, I can I can dig it because it, it, it things were starting to get um, a little bit like hyperbolous. Oh, yeah, you hear Megatron comparisons. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean that's it, funny. That's funny. It was yeah, like thirty it, pounds lighter or something. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> Come on now. Um, let's see. Looking elsewhere, where is your first tight end in this class? Because people have people have <sighs> been you know uh, digging the depth on on this tight end class, but we, you know, where does it begin? I really expected to like this tight end class more, but Isaiah likely bombed. Uh, he was he was someone that I had pretty high hopes for, but he was like two thirty five, running a four eight five. That's it's not going anywhere. Um, Trey McBride is the by default tight end one, uh, especially for fantasy because he's very busy as a pass catcher at Colorado State, and um, I think as a fantasy pick, he's you know fine depending on the price. But I worry that he's getting not star treatment exactly, but you know, that's sort of um, like fan favorite territory where the market gets amplified a bit for lack of competition. Yeah. Like people, he's people what, tweeting stuff like you're not high enough on Trey McBride. Well, it's like, he's, he's an easily likable enough player. And then we're also thirsty for a standout tight end. So it's like, if he's the only one laying around, I think people have a tendency to sort of look at a guy like him and start seeing star qualities when actually it's, it's just a bad class and he's maybe the best one in it. So I, I think his best case scenario is something like Owen Daniels. And I think his worst case scenario is quite a bit less than that. Because when I watched Colorado state tape of Trey McBride, first of all, his production is very good. Like there's no doubt yeah. about it by any standard. It's very good, but there is a certain thing lacking and that's explosiveness. There's no explosiveness in his numbers either in terms of yardage or touchdowns. He only had one on like a hundred catches last year. So he's putting up like, 2002 era Keyshawn Johnson numbers in this <laughs> offense that's averaging like 20 points a game and nobody's really producing Dante Wright's the only other good player on that offense and he's a you know an underclassman smallish slot back kind of receiver so McBride had a lot to do there was all this slack because Colorado State sucked they were losing all the time horrible so they're they're falling behind in these games and they keep trotting out these like you know big eye formation looks with McBride running at the inline position where he's matched up against some, you know, middle linebacker a lot of the time, they're giving him a lot of play action looks and he's getting these nine, 10, 11 yard gains over and over and over. And when you watch, 
it's kind of a cloud of dust sort of thing. It's not like he's taking a four-yard screen and then juking out three guys to, to grind his way to 10 yards. He's catching like an off-play action, nine-yard route, and then going down after another yard or two. And then they do that 10 times a game, and they score 17 points. So that's not threatening a defense. And I'm wondering what would have production looked like if the defense had any reason to care, you know? Like if, if, if Trey McBride catching 95 passes or whatever he did last year made, you know, five of those teams that they played lose in the process, that's a very different look. But as it was, they, they were basically bored and just kind of like toying with Colorado State. And yeah, it, it almost feels, yeah, like it, it's like Steve Adazio, the coach, saw like, oh, like we can take what the defense is giving us and just like build our whole identity around them, like literally just volunteering to just give up like the, the one touchdown and stop. Yeah, one that's touchdown. insane on like 130 targets, like 90 catches. That's got to be a record. That's got to be a yeah. record. Yeah, I mean, and, and certainly not not a, a good one uh, to, to have. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to be the person buying McBride in drafts. I just don't think the upside is high enough, and I think the risk is understated. So I'm probably not getting any tight ends this year, but we're down to, like, Ruckert from Ohio State and Otten from Washington just as kind of, like, by default because there's no competition after that. Oh, I like Jelani Woods just because he's weird. Like, he's so weird. <laughs> he is interesting, but I guess it's like he's got that O.J. Howard problem where – he can't really function in the first 10 yards. And then it's like, is some team going to give him, are they going to commit to building their offense in a way to giving him 10 plus yard seam routes, you know, running posts against safeties. I bet Woods could be pretty dangerous doing that. Uh, just like I bet OJ Howard could. Uh, but yeah, if some team, if some teams like we run, we, we do more like the uh, Evan Engram kind of tight end usage here. I think Woods could, well, not that anyone could do well with that, but uh, Woods might look a little more awkward if he has to like, play in the first eight yards a lot you know right because yeah his his self is interesting though six seven and you know who he compares to you probably remember this guy and no one else probably does he compares to leonard pope oh yeah me uh, and nick whalen favorite even um so (laughs) yeah just a a fan of giants um yeah leonard pope uh shout out to him I, i don't know what he's up to these days but obviously uh a university of georgia great and just uh Iconic, like, early 2000s aesthetic tight end guy. Yeah, that was way before we had the amount of data on athletic metrics and stuff that we do now. So there was more left to myth and legend. And I remember Leonard Pope, and people were like, dude, Jesus, he's <laughs> six foot eight, and he runs like a four six. He's going to catch 20 touchdowns. This might be Randy Moss at tight end. And we found out, like, actually, it's bad to be six foot eight. We didn't... Yeah. We, we didn't consider there was a, a, a cliff there where the returns diminished, and uh, we're sorry. Yeah, the you know, we, Leonard Pope w- was deserving of the Ed Too Tall Jones nickname. Oh, yeah, definitely. In essence. Um, so I think that that's a pretty good signal that we've covered all the ground that, that we needed to on this episode of the Roto-Wire Fantasy Football Podcast, again, brought to you by our friends over at Blue Wire. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try RotoWire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.